right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and this is episode 25, looking at the December 11, 1995 episodes of Raw and Nitro. For those of you that have been paying attention, this episode was originally scheduled to be myself and Richie reviewing the 1995 episodes of King of the Ring and The Great American Bash. Why on earth would we want to review those, you might ask? Well, I guess I'm just a sucker for pain. But more importantly, Richie has agreed to be on with me, and we had some pretty major Skype issues on the weekend when we attempted to record, so that has been postponed to hopefully later on this week. Um, If anyone has a foolproof method for recording via Skype where you can both get a pretty decent audio level, uh, let me know. I do have the Skype free recorder, I believe, but I've had some troubles with that in the past. got a couple of recommendations from some guys to try out as well so if anyone has a foolproof method let me know otherwise we're going to work our way through each recommendation until we find something that sticks big thanks as well to the late to the nitro party podcast and the new era podcast the guys over there have both been helping me with some technical issues in this last week so thank you to both of them and if you haven't already checked them both out both great shows and favorites of mine and make sure you catch up with the latest episodes of the New, Era, uh, New Blood Rising podcast, sorry, and the Raw Attitude podcast as well, because that's what I've been listening to lately, if anyone is interested. And while we're getting the plugs out of the way, of course, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I've decided to try a little bit of a new challenge for that. Every time someone leaves me a five-star review on iTunes, I will commit to watching that week's Raw and SmackDown. I think that's a pretty fair trade, to be honest. I've just come 10 minutes ago from watching Monday Night Raw, or most of Monday Night Raw. I had to turn it off after the Undertaker segment. Um, It's still a struggle. Um, I know it's a little bit hypocritical, probably, doing a wrestling podcast that you want people to listen to and shitting all over the current product, but... I am still really struggling to tune it on and watch it, even for an hour, fast-forwarding through. My big gripes with this show is, obviously, Stephanie uh, making a mockery of the women. Bailey and Sasha are two hot faces. Why does Stephanie need to humiliate them without them reacting? If she's going to go that path, they need to just twatter one, basically. Shawn Michaels coming back was a complete waste of time, and that was something I was excited for, so that, that was another negative for me. And, of course, the fact that they have to make Roman Reigns strong at all costs. Um, I believe he, he lost his belt in the main event, but if you're the cynic like I am, you assume it's just so he can win the, the Universal title at the Rumble, in which case that was a, a waste of time anyway. But you haven't come here to listen to a wrap-up of the current product, or if you have, let me know, and I'll do it if I have to. Um, we've come to talk about 1995, so... Raw drew a 2.5 rating in December 11, 1995. Nitro drew a 2.6. We watched Raw first, so we're going to head over that way first, and let's see which of the two shows has been better. They've been backwards and forwards quite a bit lately, um, up and down in the quality of both shows. Raw's a week out from the In Your House pay-per-view where the British Bulldog will take on Bret Hart for the world title, and Nitro is coming towards Starcade 1995, um, traditionally their biggest show of the year. Let's head over to Raw, see what they've got in offer, and get ourselves started. Oh, 
Monday Night Raw opens up with a hype video for the Bret Hitman Hart Bob Backlund main event in a non-title match, and we go straight to our commentary team of Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. They give us a rundown of the main event and the night's proceedings, and we go straight to the opening contest, which is Owen Hart up against Jeff Hardy. You heard that right, Jeff Hardy on Raw. Very excited when I saw this graphic pop up. Um, I knew the Hardy Boys did some jobber matches on the early days of Raw, but very cool to see him in there with Owen Hart. Little bit of a, um, a match that you would look forward to. I wouldn't say a dream match, but certainly one that could have been good if they both met in their prime. The match opens up with Owen Hart hitting some nice chops on Jeff and a shoulder block, but when he runs the rope, Jeff Hardy leapfrogs him and comes off with a hip toss on Owen Hart. We see Diesel's backstage watching on a monitor since he's going to be facing Owen Hart at the pay-per-view in a week's time. And then we have a nice knee lift by Owen onto Jeff. He goes into his uh, move sequence here with a backbreaker and a suplex. And then he hits an amazing clothesline on Jeff Hardy. Now, you've heard me on this podcast before talk about the Rikishi cell to the clothesline where they do sort of that barrel roll, spin and flip. This was a little bit different. Owen Hart hit the clothesline on Jeff Hardy, who just went into a direct backflip and landed on his face. It was fucking amazing. Check this out. Owen comes off the top with a missile drop kick next, which sends Jeff flying. He sells like a boss here. Teases that he's going to go for the sharpshooter, but instead just flips over under Jeff for the pin, getting himself the 1-2-3 and picking up the win. This wasn't where it ended though, because Yokozuna was on the outside with Jim Cornette lending their support. He calls in Yokozuna, who sets up Jeff for the bonsai, and sure enough, Yoko nails him with the bonsai drop. Owen goes to lock on the sharpshooter, and this is enough to piss off Diesel, who comes in from the back, comes in and nails a clothesline and a big boot to Yokozuna, um, but Owen Hart had already bailed out the ring. And as I said on the last episode, so much for that heel turn for Diesel, he's playing the fully-fledged face here. After the match, we get an ad for the upcoming segment with Todd Pettengale and Shawn Michaels, where they're dressed like a pair of fucking geeks. I strongly suggest you check out Twitter to see what I'm talking about there, or go and watch the episode. Um, they look like a pair of 90s science teachers. It is awful. We go to commercial, and when we come back, it's time for our second contest of the evening. Aja Kong up against, I'm not going to be able to say this, Shepatira Asari. It's probably not even close. Um, if you've seen the scene in Rocky where he fights the meat, basically that wasn't as much butchering as what I just did there. Um, before the contest gets underway as well, we have our dick move of the week, and that will go to Jerry Lawler this week, who is only interested in talking about the girls' looks. Um, might be a bit rich from, from someone who couldn't be bothered to learn their names, but I was quite interested in this contest. Aja Kong is an absolute beast, so I was quite looking forward to this, and sure enough, it didn't disappoint either. Asari, as I will say, because I can get the second name correct, starts off the match with two pretty cool flipping mule kick type moves. Unfortunately, then she hits the ropes and comes flying through the air with a crossbody that just bounces her off Aja Kong. That looks sick. Aja Kong hits her big hoe train attack before hitting two nice hair snapmare takedowns. We're told that Vince McMahon will be on America Online after the show in an uh, ask him anything type segment uh, kind of like a reddit ama these days i guess and in the line of the night vince says i'll answer any question you ask as honestly as i can what a load of bullshit vince i am absolutely calling you on that kong hits a nice suplex goes down for the pin but thinks better of it and picks her up off the two count and then in a move that had to be seen to be believed aja kong picks up asari and hits a fucking package pile driver that was incredible um mark this in the podcast so far on raw two moves i never thought i would see the package pile driver here and the steiner screwdriver earlier on in the show again though she picks her up off the two count which is a little bit harsh now because she's got to be dead off that um asari though does mount a mini comeback hitting in a drop kick 
Unfortunately, it again bounces off Aja Kong, leaves her on the mat, and Aja Kong gives us a bit of a ravishing Rick Rude hip swivel, so that was a little bit weird. Um, absorbs some slaps, just basically stands there and takes them. Then just walks away from Asari and begins headbutting the turnbuckles herself, just really firing up here. Aja Kong is being booked like a beast. She slams Asari, goes up to the second rope but misses a splash. Asari goes up to the top and goes for the big corkscrew splash but misses. And then Aja Kong picks her up and hits the spinning back fist, but this was this had to be seen. This spinning back fist would if I saw this in a UFC fight, I would legit believe it would knock someone out. You're talking about Shoney Carter levels of spinning back fist here. That's how good it was. That obviously picks up the pin for Aja Kong. She gets a one, two, three, and the camera gets a really good close-up of Asari and shows her nose is busted up. So I'm guessing that was a legit hit, but it, it was a great ending to a really good solid women's match. It was your typical story of the, the big monster heel up against the plucky underdog. But in this case, they're building the heel so strong and she's picking up the wins. I was very, very impressed with this. This takes us to a next commercial break. And when we come back, it's time for Sean. As my phone goes off there, as someone's tweeting me. Apologies about that. And he's got his big, goofy smile on with his top button choking the shit out of his neck for his interview with Todd Pettengale. I won't actually read what I wrote about Todd's attire. Just look at the photo on Twitter. Otherwise, I'm going to offend some people here in a minute. What I will say, though, is his attire does consist of a brown coat, some jeans, a green waistcoat, and a white shirt. Um, fashion police here. They've got to be out in full force. The outfit's pretty much so loud that I can't hear any of his questions early on, but we do get there in the end. Sean basically tells us he's got no symptoms, he feels fine, he's ready to return to action when he's cleared, and then Todd Pettengale goes and spoils it all by asking him about retirement. Pretty reasonable question considering what's gone on in the past year with Shawn Michaels, but he gets really pissy and refuses to answer it, saying I'm not going to dignify that with a response, and seemingly that's enough for the interview, so pretty much the only thing we all wanted to know, Sean dismisses, and that's that. We go to commercial and we come back and it's time for our penultimate uh, contest of the evening, which will be Ahmed Johnson up against Rick Stockhauser. Yeah, me neither. Um, we get an inset Dean Douglas promo, which is basically just Dean Douglas talking about Ahmed and adding in his ha ha ha. I can't do that any justice. Listen to the new blood guys. They do a pretty mean Dean Douglas. Stockhauser jumps Ahmed Johnson right from the off, but Ahmed no-sells it as he is wont to do, and then absolutely butchers an Irish whip and a spine buster. I posted the video on Twitter and got a little bit of reaction about it. It was horrendous. So, in the words of OSW, what does the fucking carny do next? Repeats the spot and hits a spine buster. Then a Pearl River plunge, then a three count. So, at least it was short, but Ahmed's still showing some of that rust early doors here. Jerry Lawler then goes to interview Ahmed Johnson yet again. This was brutal the first time, so I don't know what they were thinking the second time. And it's just basically Lawler hyping up Dean Douglas while Ahmed Johnson vows to shut them both up. We go backstage for Doc Hendricks shilling me some denim jackets for the low price of $64.99 plus postage and handling. You can have a denim jacket with a big picture of a wrestler on the back. Sound appealing? Mm, no, me neither. We then get a strange advert, which is... Um, a little kid being led into a, a police room to look through the window and pick someone out of a lineup. This lineup involves several wrestlers, including Razor Ramon, Yoko Zuna, and Ahmed Johnson. And the kid picks Harvey Whippleman out of the lineup, and they all beat Harvey down. Um, a, they can obviously see through the window to know who he picked. And B, this was so confusing, I didn't even catch what it was trying to advertise, but it was pretty funny. We then go to another unique segment where Freddie Blassie is giving a 
NFL-style speech in a locker room to all the wrestlers, hyping up the upcoming Raw Bowl. For those of you that have heard the show and been listening all the way through, you'll know that the Raw Bowl was one of those episodes missing from Raw, and it is now up and running, so I'm looking forward to getting to that. That should be a good review, Um, but a very surreal advert nonetheless. American football is hard enough to follow at the best of times, though I did go to a game while I was over there, and I do enjoy it. I'm not knocking it. It's just not real football, is it? American listeners... I kid, I kid, please don't stop listening. We then get Ted DiBiase, the one, two, three kid, and Psycho Sid coming out for a promo. Uh, Ted predicts the tag team titles are in their future, so that's an interesting um, storyline to see unfold here. And he quizzes the, the kid on things that are important in life. The kid says, forget the crowd, make the money, and win at all costs. And then Sid said that he's not going to enjoy beating down Marty Jannetty and Razor Ramon. The kid and Ted DiBiase look upset with this, and then Sid tells him he's just joking. Of course he's going to enjoy it. Another strange Sid promo, but another Sid promo that I loved. And we're told that next week we'll get Razor Ramon defending his Intercontinental title up against Yokozuna, who will be going for the triple threat of titles in the WWF. That'll do it for the appetizers, though. It's time for the main event. Brett the Hitman Hard in a non-title contest up against Bob Backlund. Crossface chicken wing, young man! Anyway, I love all of you. I love life. I think the family is the most important unit on the face of this earth. I don't think government can fix it. I think you can. And I don't care if they don't want me to have a good day or not. I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm going to keep fighting. There was no real reason to put that in there other than the fact that I love Crazy Bob Backlund. And I'm about to describe this main event, which I didn't love. And I thought I'd keep some of the good memories of Bob Backlund in there for his all anyway. So basically this match starts off with some chain wrestling. Um, We see Diana in the crowd again and we get some close-ups on her. Uh, Jerry Lawler starts carrying on about her and how she's going to want the Bulldog to to win. And she's going to want him to beat Bret Hart the same way he did at SummerSlam. Vince disagrees, so Lawler goes up to interview her. And then she says she thinks the British Bulldog can win and that he needs to be aggressive. And that Jim Cornette got him his title shot that he deserves. So, so much for what you know there, Vince. There's not a lot going on in the ring, so I was quite thankful for that little um, scoot out up into the crowd for Lawler. When he's on his way back down, we go to a commercial break to allow him to get back on the commentary table. Nothing much has happened when we come back in. Brett's working on an arm, as Vince McMahon calls Bob Backlund a lunatic fringe, so he obviously filed that one away in his back pocket for later. Backlund grabs the chicken wing, uh, his finisher on Brett, but Brett gets immediately into the ropes, and then Bob goes onto an arm. This is very, very slow. Um, we get one punch by Bob Backlund, which is out of character, but then he goes back on the arm. Bret Hart gets two different pinning combinations, which each earn him a two count, and we go to another commercial break. When we come back, it's time for the five moves of Doom, so he hits the Russian leg sweep for a two, the backbreaker, the elbow, and then puts in the sharpshooter before... The British Bulldog runs out to distract the referee from Bob Backlund submitting, and then Bob gets a chicken wing on Brett while he's distracted by the Bulldog. The ref calls for a disqualification, and the Bulldog stomps on Brett while Backlund has him in the chicken wing. This brings out a bunch of referees with Gerald Briscoe and Wurzel to try and break it all up. The crowd do not give a shit, and this is the go-home main event segment for the pay-per-view. This was really, really sad, actually. The match was just so dull and boring that the crowd didn't care about the ending by the end of it. Um, the commentary team try and hype us on the pay-per-view to finish the show, but what was otherwise a pretty enjoyable show finished with a really flat main event. I know Brett didn't really enjoy working with Bob Backlund, and it's easy to see why, because this was pretty bad. 
Anyway, that'll do it for Raw, so let's head over to WCW and see what they've got in store for us with Nitro. team of Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Steve Mongo McMichael. Mongo and Pepe are both dressed in leather this week, so pretty sweet looking matching outfits. And we speculate on the Sting and Hulk Hogan trusting each other for the main event tag team match. Uh, we get underway with our first match of the evening, which is a great one to start with. Eddie Guerrero up against Mr. JL. Um, unfortunately, they're both giving a jobber entr- entrance, sorry, because they're both stood in the ring by the time the commentators finish talking about Hogan. We get a cool sequence of leapfrogs and flips, finishing up with Eddie Guerrero hitting a nice tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for a two-count, a body slam, and then goes to the apron to flip over the ropes with a senton splash, and a back suplex folds up JL for another two-count. He goes into an abdominal stretch, but JL rolls through two moves moves with arm drags, which looks pretty cool. Eddie Guerrero hits an inverted atomic drop. JL hits a flying head scissors, and Eddie Guerrero comes off the top rope with a really sick-looking arm drag. As Bobby Heenan asks the question we've all been talking about, what does JL stand for? That's where we need Mr. OOC from uh, OSW piping in with Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn then drop kicks Eddie Guerrero to the outside and runs off the apron with a cool looking cannonball to the floor. Back inside, Jerry Lynn hits a cool suplex for a two count and then a sick looking corner drop kick as well. Before a series of pin attempts by both men are reversed until Eddie Guerrero finally gets the winning pin and the one, two, three in a nice little opener, a little bit short, but some good action and, and quick pace, which was the whole point of the Cruiserweight division on Nitro. If you listen to Eric Bischoff tell um, his story of what he was looking to set up there. So certainly mission accomplished here. From here we go to Gene Oakland interviewing Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart finally gets a little bit chippy and tells Gene to shut up with the insults, which has been coming for a few weeks if if we're being fair. Lex cuts a promo on Macho Man and says that he wants a title, then cuts a little bit of a promo about the upcoming three-way between himself, Ric Flair and Sting before we go to a commercial break. But Eric Bischoff tells us not to leave because we're coming back to Disco Inferno up against Mr. Wonderful in what I'm going to dub the Battle of the Theme Songs here.
guys judge the winner of the song contest there, but the crowd seemed to side with Disco Inferno because he got a massive face pop, whereas Mr. Wonderful got quite heelish Paula chance from the crowd. Eric Bischoff with a doozy of a line early on talking about Disco Inferno, where he says he only cares about one thing, his booty and his hair. Um, Eric, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but if you can't count past one, we've got trouble here. No wonder WCW's accounting was such a mess. Disco Inferno attacks right from the off here with stomps and strikes before Paul Orndorff fires back with an elbow and some strikes of his own and then a terrible dance. Paul Orndorff just looked like a crazy granddad at a wedding here with his dance and drops an elbow with the sort of non-ruined arm. If you've ever seen Paul Orndorff post his massive Hulkamania run, you'll see that he's got one arm a lot smaller than the other. Um, The left arm is bigger than his right arm because he had nerve damage in his right arm that he never got fixed because he was drawing so much money. And he's lost all his muscle mass in it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, so go and have a look. After this, though, he picks up Disco and hits a really sick-looking fold-up back suplex, and that's it. The one, two, three sort of half-heartedly sticks a foot on the rope on the three count, but the referee doesn't notice it. The commentators don't mention it, and even with the replay, no one talks about it, so it was a little bit of a waste of time. Um, And I was quite surprised to hear that Orndorff, who's really in the twilight of his career, picked up a win over Disco Inferno, whose heat had been going through the roof early doors in WCW, so a bit of a strange one, that. We then get Gene Oakland with... Brian Pillman, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson of the Four Horsemen. And Brian Pillman is in full loose cannon mode here, cutting a promo. So bizarre, I can't explain it to you. So I'm going to attempt to pull up um, some sound of it. I've had some trouble locating it. So apologies if the sound quality is not the best, but you've got to hear this. As you know, a little bit later on tonight, right here live on Nitro, it's going to be the Nature Boy and the Enforcer squaring off against Hulk Hogan and Sting. Before I get to that, though, Brian, Brian Pillman, come on in. What is it like to be a part of the Horsemen along with Chris Benoit? It's a chance of a lifetime to be a part of the greatest dynasty in the history of professional sports. Everybody on the planet wanted to be a horseman, including the top dog, the Hulkster. He wanted it so bad. He chucked the prayers, the vitamins, and the training. Adorned himself in black. He played the bad guy. But when the whiskey drinking, skirt chasing, limo riding, got the best of him, he ripped off the black spandex and threw it in a burning trash can. Well, Hogan, we don't have the luxury of ripping our black hearts out of our chests because we are the bad guys. But I still want you to know, I love you, man. Oh, give me a break, please. Come Gene. Don't cut me off. The American males sent Slick Rick Double A, 8x10 glossies of them and Steve McMichael can't comment on their content, but I'll say this, McMichael, for a big guy, you're pretty flexible. <laughs> yeah, what, what's the point? Well, the point is, you want the Dungeon of Doom? Yep, do you want to talk? No, I don't want the Dungeon of Doom. No. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> Talking about the Zodiac. <laughs> Everybody <And> was... Then, <laughs> let's not forget about the guy that just wrestled. Mr. Wonderful, who was once horseman material, had the killer instinct, would cut your throat 
for 50 cents. Now, he's not a member of the Horsemen. He's a member of the Psychic Friends Network. He's spilling his guts to Gary Spivey and Dion Warwick for $4.99 a minute. You know, I don't know. Please, please you're getting please carried bring away. Bring the focus back to the athletes. Yeah. As Double A would say, let's pause at all this. This eventually brings out Paul Orndorff to confront the horseman. Art Anderson initially tries to calm the situation down, but Brian Pillman is winding up Paul Orndorff something chronic here, and eventually Orndorff snaps and goes at Pillman, which causes Arn and Flair to jump in, and they beat down Paul Orndorff, ending with a spike pile driver on the concrete off the staging area. That was fucking awesome. Really strange, but really cool segment. Um, overall, this Monday night was a hell of a time to be flipping the channel because there was some good stuff on both shows here. Uh, but that was cool. Saturday night, we're told we're going to see the likes of Mark Miro, Brian Pillman, and Bunkhouse Buck. So a bit of a mixed bag coming up at 6.05, but we'll see how we go. We go to a commercial break and we get a big Starcade ad. This year, it's going to be a World Cup with Japan taking on WCW. And then we come back to see Mr. Wonderful being stretched out of the arena. Our next matchup is Lex Luger up against Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and this immediately brings my Monday night mood back down to earth. Eric Bischoff's evidently feeling the same way because he's got the, the very sort of low, somber tone, which he immediately snaps out of when he goes from saying it's a very serious scene here, things have not gone well. In any event, our next matchup, Lex Luger up against Hacksaw Jim Duggan, so, you know, we can't grieve for long. Um... Duggan basically coming out here to face Lex Luger, who's being billed as a top contender. If he doesn't job, I'm going to go ballistic, and it's 20 years in the future, so put that together. Um, we get a bit of a punch-kick affair with Ho and USA Chance. Um, Luger doing some shouty selling, as we all know and love. Duggan hits a hip toss and a clothesline and a pair of elbows before Jimmy Hart gets on the apron, allowing Lex to get Big Hacksaw up in the torture rack. And lo and behold, Hacksaw actually gives up, does some business and helps out the company. Bravo, Hacksaw. I was very impressed. A little clap for you. Anywho, from there we go to Gene with the Macho Man, who's comparing the Giant to Andre, and Gene gets in that slick little line. It runs in the family, you know, because uh, he's not above pulling that kind of crap. And then it is time for our main event of the evening. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson of the Four Horsemen up against Hulk Hogan and Sting in the uneasy alliance of people with competing interests that almost never gets used in wrestling anymore. I really wish they would pair up. Uh, guys that are feuding to go into tag team matches more often. A bit of a strange production gaffe, I'm assuming. Sting comes out to his music, but it just keeps going, and Hulk has to walk out to that. Uh, can't imagine that was done on purpose, because Hulk's ego would not allow that whatsoever. Um, the camera gets right up Sting's ass in the early exchange with Arn Anderson, and this is not a good look, because Sting is wearing white tights, and there is a big darkish, well not big, but a noticeable darkish stain right in the middle of his ass crack, so some poor production there again, they're having a bit of an off night here for Nitro, no spoilers for who's going to win as Arn works the headlock with Sting, the surprise of the night is absolutely monstrous Hogan sucks chance no surprise uh, from the location that Hogan's not a favourite because we are in Charlotte, North Carolina, obviously Ric Flair country and he is against Ric Flair but the sheer ferocity of these chants did take me by surprise Hulk and Ric Flair get into the match in pretty short order as well, and the crowd goes nuts with woos. Flair is definitely the babyface. 
Hulk hits a big shoulder block, but then no sells Rick's chops, hits a backdrop, the corner flip run uh, with Flair, and Flair runs down the um, the outside of the apron to be nailed by Sting as well. Arn Anderson runs in, but Hogan obviously makes quick work of him. Before Flair and Sting get back in, Flair takes a press slam, as he always does, a nice hip toss, followed by a drop kick and a backslide by Sting for a two count. Um, Ric Flair does fire back with an inverted atomic drop before tagging in Arn Anderson. Before Sting press slams Arn off the top rope, puts on the Scorpion Deathlock, but Ric Flair makes the save. Uh, he goes to put it on Ric Flair, but Arn Anderson grabs Sting while he's bent down and nails a nice looking DDT. While Hogan's on the outside of the ring, Luger comes running down the aisle and puts him up in the torture rack for a little while, weakening the Hulkster. This, however, does get a huge babyface pop from the crowd, so that was interesting as well. And of course, Sting attempting to tag Hulk Hogan, but he's lay prone on the floor selling, so he doesn't have a partner there to help him. Sting goes to make the tag a second time with Hogan recovered, but the heels distract the referee from seeing the hot tag, so he has to go in and take a little bit more of a beating. Getting all over the knee, softening him up for the figure four, and Flair eventually does slap that on, but it doesn't last with Sting reversing the hold. Who nails both the heels and tags in Hulk Hogan. Hulk, however, gets in the ring and runs straight into a lovely Arn Anderson spinebuster, which he immediately no-sells. Goes into his finishing sequence, hits his boot and his leg drop on Arn. Flair attempts to get up in the corner, but he's hit with a stinger splash as Hulk Hogan gets the three count on Arn Anderson for the win. The booze come down and Hogan, the savvy veteran that he is, immediately goes and grabs Sting's hand so the two of them can be celebrating together. In other words, either getting some of Sting's face pops or sharing the booze with his good buddy Sting. Brian Pillman comes out to help the two uh, Horseman members attack the faces, but Lex comes in and stops them going after Sting, allowing them to beat down on Hulk as long as they leave Sting alone. Sting eventually makes a save. The Macho Man then runs out, but as he gets into the ring, Sting nails the Macho Man with a big right hand, and as that's about to kick off, Hulk Hogan breaks the two of them up. More huge Hogan sucks chance rain out here. In what's a very confusing ending to the show, uh, Sting basically says that he shouldn't hit the Macho Man, but they both have hot heads. Um, Hulk says that Sting saved him, so they should be together. They all make up, and they talk about their enemies in the ring to end the show. It was a bit of a lame promo, and the camera work again was off, with one of the three guys always sort of having their back to the camera, and it just coming from a weird angle. This... Both shows here really felt like they were building to something good and were let down by the endings. Um, we get the commentators attempting to wrap up the mess of the main event scene here, but it doesn't really save the bad angle to finish the show. So that's it for Nitro. Let's head over and do the wrap up and see which of the two shows came out on top in the end. So, as alluded to already, we're going to go with Raw for production value. Nitro had an uncharacteristically off night with their production here. Um, just a few little gaffes and mishaps and things not looking as slick as they normally do. So Raw gets a nod here because it's its usual solid, dependable self. When it comes to characters, I'm going to give the nod to Nitro because Raw didn't feature The Undertaker or Razor Ramon. I know not every star is on every episode, but Nitro seemed to pack more main eventers at least appearing onto the show here. Um, Shawn Michaels didn't wrestle and had a bit of a crap segment with Todd Pettengale as well, so I'm definitely going to go with Nitro here. Storylines, I'm going to go with Raw because they kept it pretty simple and it was straightforward and the night finish making sense. Diesel's after Owen. Owen's using Yoko to help him out um, shield his advances. Dean Douglas is going to fight Ahmed Johnson. And the Bulldog furthered his main event storyline with Bret Hart. Um, on Nitro, 
the main event scene is just convoluted. I'm enjoying this sort of shades of grey thing with Lex Luger and Sting. Um, and I'm also enjoying the involvement of the Macho Man in the title scene. Hulk Hogan just doesn't let it become anything interesting, though. He strangles the main event storylines and makes them all revolve around getting him over. And that just really, it's not enjoyable for me. For the crowd, I'm going to go with Nitro because they weren't dead. By the end of the main event of Raw, they were completely dead. Now, the Nitro crowd didn't like Hogan, but I'm not going to hold that against him. In fact, it made for a much more enjoyable watching experience for yours truly. That leaves us at two and two. And match quality, I'm actually going to sit on the fence here and call a tie. The Aja Kong match was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And anytime I get to see Eddie Guerrero and JL pull it up on Nitro, I enjoy that too. I won't say they were even because I probably would lean more towards Aja Kong because it was more of a something different, something I've not really seen before, whereas a Guerrero-JL match we have seen previously and probably of a higher standard. Um, Raw also had Owen Hart and Jeff Hardy, which was quite cool, but the main event stopped at winning the night here. The Bret Hart-Bob Backlund match was utter crap. Nitro did have two matches I didn't enjoy in Luger and Duggan, but at least the um, the result was right there. Disco Inferno and Paul Orndorff, and the result was not right there. Their main event had better action and a better crowd, but Hulk Hogan soured it for me, so they couldn't get the win either. Making this um, night Raw and Nitro, I'm going to call it a dead-even tie, so no winner. Um, that'll do it for December 11, Raw and Nitro. Um, that's in the can. Hopefully the next episode is going to be, as I said earlier, King of the Ring 95 and the Great American Bash 95 going head-to-head. -head. And that will do it for this week or this, this show. I hope you all enjoyed listening. As always, give us your feedback. Uh, despite the troubles I'm having with the computer and stuff here, we have got the new microphone on the go, so still trying to get the production value and everything there up to speed. Any questions or comments, please get in touch. Otherwise, I will speak to you all again soon. I Take my hand through the flame I torture you I'm a slave to your games Suck up a pain, I got the squad tatted on me from my neck to my ankles Pressure from the man, got us all in rebellion We gon' go to war, yeah, without failure Do it for the fam, dawg, ten toes down, dawg Love and the loyalty, that's what we stand for Alienated by society All this pressure give me anxiety Walk slow through the fire like who gon' try us? Feeling the world go against us. So we put the world on our shoulders. I torture you. Take my hand through the flame. I torture you. I'm a slave to your games. I wanna chain you up. I wanna tie you down. Been at it with my homies, it don't matter, you don't know me I've been rolling with my team, we the illest on the scene I've been riding around the city with my squad I've been riding around the city with my squad We just supposed to getting crazy, living like this is so amazing Hold up, take a step back when we roll up, cause I know what We've been loyal, we've been fan, we the ones you're trusting Won't hesitate to go straight to your head like a concussion I know I've been busting, no discussion for my family No hesitation through my scope, I see my enemy Like, what's up, hold up, we finna reload 
reload up. Yes, I reload up. I know what up. I know what up. I talk to you. Take my hand through the flame. I talk to you. I'm a slave to your things. I wanna chain you up. I wanna tie you down. I'm just a sucker for pain. Uh, devoted to destruction. Dosage of detrimental dysfunction I'm dying slow but the devil trying to rush me See I'm a fool for pain I'm a dummy might cut my head off Right after I slip my throat Tongue kiss a shark Got jealous bitches up in the boat Eating peanut butter and jellyfishes on toast And if I get stung I get stoked Might choke like I chewed a chunk of charcoal Naked in the North Pole That's why my heart cold full of sorrow The lost soul and only Lord knows When I'm coming to the crossroads So I don't feel shit for tomorrow And I'm a sucker for pain, it ain't nothing but pain You just fucking complain, you ain't tough as you claim Just stay up in your lane, just don't fuck with Lil Wayne I'ma jump from my plane or stand in front of a train Cause I'm a sucker for pain Used to doing bad, now we feel like we just now getting in Ain't got no other way, so we started and finished it No pain, no gain Never stand down, made our own way Never going slow, we pick up the pace This is what we wanted from a young age No emotion, that's what business is Lord have mercy on the witnesses Begging, 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 begging.